And, and funnily enough, what we're going to talk about today is very appropriate and significant um, and, and connected with things I'm feeling and I think a lot of us are going through, which is looking at Genesis 16. Uh, we're going to talk today about the God who sees, the God who sees. And I, I'm very much not in control of the outcome of my mother's situation, no one is. Um, but not being in control is part of life. And the question is really in our lives, in terms of our own spiritual, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> our own spiritual and emotional health, is whether we really trust that God is with us in these circumstances. Where Does God really see what's going on? And I believe he does. And I think this passage helps us to see this. So let's dig in and see what we can learn from uh, Genesis uh, 16 here today as we continue our adventures of faith with Abraham. So what have we had in chapter 15? We've had the high point. We've had the covenant. We've had the enactment of this very strange but, but powerful uh, ritual of Abraham uh, setting up these sacrifices and, and, the, and God, I think, walking between the sacrifices, a real high point. And, and then we have something quite different in chapter 16 to what we've seen so far, which is up till now, Abraham and other male figures have been the focus. But in chapter 16, the women come into the foreground, as indeed they should, women, ladies, women, sisters. Uh, and so the women come into the foreground, Sarai and, uh, and, and Hagar, of course, but also God. So we're seeing God and the women interact here in different ways. But fundamentally, this passage and the teachings in it, I think, are not about men or women, really. They're about the human condition, and in particular, about the, the temptations to and consequences of impatience. Now, maybe you don't struggle with impatience. Um, I think I do. <clears throat> and um, there's that old prayer, right? Somebody's supposed to have prayed, uh, God, give me patience and give it to me now. And I, we can all kind of relate to that, that uh, impatience is a struggle. Uh, and I think this is what we're seeing in this chapter. And then we're seeing how God helps us and sees us in all of our challenges when we're tempted to be impatient. And we're seeing Sarah's faith tested. We've seen Abraham's faith tested. We'll see it tested again. But here we're seeing Sarah's faith tested. And we learn a lot about the Lord. So we've got a very emotional setup. No way uh, of looking at this in any other way. It's a very emotionally charged situation right here. Uh, Sarai has no children, no children. <coughs> Excuse me. And as you probably know in that culture, and still in many cultures today, having children is just kind of everything. Particularly perhaps for a wife, a mother, a, a potential mother, but also for, for the man as well. Families, having children is, is, is everything. And there's, in that culture, especially at that time, there would have been a sense of shame at not having any children. And perhaps the idea that God was against you. Of course, God is very much for Abraham and Sarah in a way that is extraordinary compared to almost everybody else alive. But it can look like God is against them. And that sometimes happens to us. And so you've got this great shame situation. And we see that Sarai's response to the uh, long wait, and it is a long wait, is to come up with her own plan. She's heard the promises of God, but she comes up with her own plan. And her plan is to give her slave, or more likely a maid, but anyway, a slave or a maid, 
called Hagar to Abraham and for him to marry her and to have a child through her. Uh, polygamy was not something that God had specifically said was wrong um, at that point. Uh, however, the implication, strong implication from Genesis 2, that a man and a, a man and a woman are meant to be together is at least an implication that polygamy is not a good idea. And in fact, the outcome of polygamy in the, in the Bible is always bad. Uh, but that's not, it's something that the culture would uh, ordinarily be done. Um, it wasn't uncommon for this kind of thing. And a rich, a childless woman like Sarai was rich in that culture, um, would often employ a surrogate mother to uh, carry a child. That was not an uncommon thing. Doesn't mean it was a good thing, but it wasn't uncommon to have surrogate motherhood. So what do we see here? Uh, let me just say a couple of brief things about what I see. I, I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing a reminder of what goes wrong when we get impatient and we want something so badly, we make bad decisions. It's not wrong for Sarah to want a child, but to manipulate the circumstances in a way that God has not permitted, that's not good. And so we're reminded here of Genesis 3. A lot of the same words are used in Genesis 16 as in Genesis 3. So when it says, um, where is that? Okay, in verse 3, Hagar, uh, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband. That's mirroring the language of Genesis of Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam. It's the same phrasing. And uh, we see that there's a, uh, there's a parallel uh, here going on. And when it says that Abraham agreed with his wife in this translation, the word agreed there is the same word for listen. So it's like when Adam listened to Eve. So we've got the same idea of God has a plan and humans are trying to make it work the way they want it to. It's not like that's changed over the last few millennia. Still have the same kind of challenges today, right? And as this is going on, we notice something. We see Abraham, we see Sarai, we see uh, Hagar. We do not see or hear about God. God is absent from the first half of this story. There's no praying to God. There's no worshiping of God. There's no inquiring of God. It's all about the humans. So again, we're seeing um, manipulation and control, or at least attempted, and the uh, and things turn nasty. You know, we I'm sure Sarai is a lovely person, but she has a dark heart or dark parts to her heart, just like you and me. On the surface, I'm sure she was a lovely neighbor and friend and and all that. But when um, Hagar gets pregnant, she, uh, Hagar despises her mistress, and then Hagar mistreats her. And the word mistreated there is the same word used in Exodus of the treatment of the Israelites by the Egyptians. And here we have an, a proto-Israelite, Sarah is not truly an Israelite because Israel doesn't exist yet, but a proto-Israelite treating an Egyptian, because Hagar's an Egyptian, just in the same way the Egyptians are going to treat the Israelites in slavery in Exodus. So we've got we got a dark darkness in Hagar's heart, in, in Sarah's heart, and we've got a darkness in Hagar's heart as she despises um, her. Uh, she despises her mistress, and the word there is the word used in the flood account of the violence that was happening on Earth, which was the reason why um, 
the reason why uh, uh, the Lord sent the flood. So it seems like she's being violent or at least close to being violent. So we got violence, we've got this being despised, we've got mistreatment. It, it's, God is, God is missing. It's, it's a pretty miserable uh, situation. So impatience causes so many problems in our lives. One of the things I think is worth us thinking about personally is what are the common areas in which we tend to be impatient? I, I don't know about you, but I think for myself, there are some areas in life when I'm reasonably patient as a habit. There are other areas in my life where I really struggle with impatience. And it's helpful to identify those areas where we are most tempted to impatience because those are the places where we would do well to pray regularly. So if we're impatient with our children, we're impatient with our friends and family, we're impatient about, impatient about prayers that haven't been answered, we're impatient about our job situation, uh, we're impatient uh, because we're just not getting what we want. Whatever those things are, those are the things to talk about with God, to ask him to give us a measure of patience, which is frankly not human. It's more divine. We need God's divine strength to be patient so that we don't curse situations that already exist. I can't say it's a good situation that Sarai has no children, but the situation after this situation with, with Hagar is much worse. Deceit, just being despised, um, being mistreated, and ultimately, of course, she runs away. She thinks that's the only way she can handle the situation. And so at the end of the situation, we have, uh, at least at this part of the chapter, we have everybody losing. Abraham's lost his new wife and his son. Um, Sarai has lost her maid. Hagar has lost her home. Um, everybody's lost because of impatience. And, <clears throat> excuse me, being influenced by the culture of the day. I must have a child and have it now. Some scriptures to think about, and you may want to reflect on these um, later, but some ones that I think are helpful in this regard are James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, when it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Patience is the way that God makes us complete. Patience is at least part of the way that he makes us more Christ-like, all that we can be. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and for our purposes today, this key phrase, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not to be conformed to the world. Part of Sarah's problem was she said, all my friends I get, all my friends have got children, I'm supposed to have children, I'm going to get children, whatever the cost. It's fitting in with the world. And finally, in this regard, Hebrews 10 and verse 36, Hebrews 10, 36, it says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So part of the 
part of the way we get the strength to be patient is to trust that the promises of God, even though they may be delayed, they're going to, they are coming and it's going to be worth it to wait. Persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So it's coming, it's coming. Um, Sarah struggled with impatience, I think mostly motivated by shame, a sense of shame. And a sense of shame is a, is a very destructive thing, but it's a very common thing for all of us. I think there's some issues to do with shame that are <clears throat> common to humankind uh, uh, across all cultures. And then I think even in, in the Christian faith, there are some areas of shame that we must reckon with, even within church contexts. And again, I'd like to encourage us to be thinking about the areas where we're most prone to feeling shame. So perhaps it's, well, you know, my children, um, my children aren't all I'd like them to be. They're not Christians yet. So they're not behaving in a way that I, I think Christians would approve of. And therefore I feel some shame or perhaps shame that, um, that I, um, that I'm not, I'm not, I just don't feel like I measure up as a Christian. I don't think I'm, I'm the way I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not evangelistic enough. I don't have enough people in my life. I don't, how do enough of this or that or the other and my prayer life isn't all it's meant to be and we have these standards we often set for ourselves which may not even be scriptural frankly uh, and i wonder whether this is something we might struggle with more than we realize so it may be worthwhile reflecting on that so that we don't have an artificial and unhealthy burden of shame that that propels us into impatience that leads to great tragedy like it does in this chapter. So the first scene here is the scene in the home. Back at home, what's going on? Shame, impatience, manipulation, and a lot of problems. But then I love it because that's not the end of the story. This is why God is so wonderful, because there's always good news. And then we have the second half of the chapter. God has not been invited into this problem, but he invites himself just to sort it out. And so the second half of the chapter from verse eight uh, or verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Isn't that just a beautiful phrase? She was running away, but the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring by the road. And he speaks to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Don't you just love the gentleness here? He could have said, what's wrong with you? Go back home. Or he, or he could have said, where's your faith? Or he could have said, I know what's going on. But he just he asks a question. It's like Jesus in the gospel so often. He doesn't, you know, bang in there with the solution. He says, do you want to get well to the person in John 5? But anyway, that's what he does. He asks a question. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Uh, the gentleness is wonderful. And she says, well, I'm running away. And then he tells us something which must have been very difficult to hear. He says, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. That is not what she wanted to hear. I'm pretty sure of that. It's, I'm sure it's not what I would have wanted to hear. And by the way, in sending her back, and she does go back, but in sending her back, 
this cannot be used as justification for forcing people to return to abusive situations. Okay, that's that's not the, the teaching of this passage. But but God knows where this is ending up and going, and that God is going to be with Hagar and with Ishmael, her son. He's going to be in the situation. And so he says, go back. And then he gives her a, a promise. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. That's a very similar promise to the one he gives Abraham. Too numerous. And then he tells her a bit more detail. You're pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. You'll name him Ishmael, which means heard or the Lord heard, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And he will be, I don't know how you'd feel about this, if this was a prophecy about your child, he will be a wild donkey of a man. I'm not sure about how positive that is, but okay. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards uh, all his brothers. I think what I'm seeing here is God is being honest with her. He trusts her enough or perhaps respects her enough, might be the better way to put it, to be honest. Your life is not going to be easy. I'm sending you back to an abusive mistress. You'll have a son. That's wonderful. Um, it's because God has heard you and he's going to be strong. Okay. But everybody's going to be against him and him and his brothers not going to get on. Just so you know, Hagar, mm -hmm. this is how it's going to be. And it's kind of brutal, but it's honest. And I, I think that's wonderful about God. He is honest with us about the fact that the Christian life uh, is, uh, is hard. Life is hard. It's not much fun. I was going to say it's not much fun being here right now. That's not true. It's fun to be with my dad. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me qualify that. Uh, no, it is, it is good to be here, but it's not good for the, uh, uh, the circumstances of bringing me here are not good. And, 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 you know, dad and I talked about how hard this time is for both of us and for my mom and for all of us as a family. And it's, it's pretty wearing, uh, tiring. It's, it's, it's worrying, not knowing, you know, thinking about my mom being knocked out. She's, she's not conscious. She's uh, keeping her asleep, but is lying there and we can't go and see her, of course. She can't see us. And not knowing what will happen on Monday uh, and all that. So we, we, we know life is, is difficult. And I think it's important as Christians that we don't think that because life is difficult, something's wrong. It's the way it is. Even with the blessings and the promises of God that we get, we see Hagar receives here. She's also told this is not gonna, it's not all gonna go well. And, and then in verse 13, her response is really quite something, I think. In verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's why the well is called Beer Lahai Roy, which... That's what it means. To be seen by God. To be seen by God. I was taken by what Dawn, you messaged me. Dawn messaged me during the week and messaged about this idea that there's a bit of a difference between being seen by God and watched by God. 
And it looks like in Genesis, for example, Abraham, um, Adam and Eve's relationship with God begins with them being seen by God. They have this close relationship. And then after they take the fruit, they shouldn't. They're, it looks like they're trying to avoid being watched by God. They go from the sense of God being a, a, a wonderful, intimate companion to being someone who's a threat. And that's a real shame because God doesn't want to be a threat. He doesn't want us to feel like we're being watched like some kind of super surveillance, one of those drones that you can get flying around your house to check what's going on, see if your children are doing their homework via remote drone or something. Uh, I don't know, but it's not, that's not God's heart for us, right? He's not watching, checking up. His heart is, he sees us. He sees us. And if, if we were in different circumstances, I'd really love to have a conversation here together. I can't really do it with the iPad and the things I have here, but just what does it mean to be seen? How does it feel when you know you're seen by God? What's, what does it do for you spiritually to know that you're seen? Not so much watched, but seen. And we're seen by a God who knows our needs. I mean, this is why the angel of the Lord goes to find Hagar. He goes and finds her. It reminds us of Luke 19.10. Uh, the encounter of Jesus with Zacchaeus and it ends up that passage in Luke 19 saying 10 saying the son of man has come to seek and to save what was lost or that which was lost who was lost he, he's come to seek he's come to save he's come to see us to notice us to assure us that he is with us that's the point of what's uh, what's going on here I would say so at the end of this Abraham gets his son, and not the son, but a son. Hagar gets to be a wife, and she goes back um, home, you could say. And, and Hagar is uh, one of the interesting things to me. I think about this. Hagar is the one that demonstrates faith in this chapter. Abraham doesn't demonstrate faith. Sarai doesn't demonstrate faith. Hagar the Egyptian, the non-Israelite, we could say, the, the Egyptian, the slave, the non-chosen, you could say, the one to whom no promises have been given up to this point. She's just tagging along, being a slave, being a maid. But she's the one who's noticed in this situation. She, God will not put up with mistreatment. God will not put up with, with this wicked situation. He will do his best. He will sort it out. And it tells us a lot about God's nature that he will ultimately resolve all injustice. But that's more as a side point. So what we see here is that she's the one with faith. And our adventures of faith with Abraham through this series also show us the adventures in faith of Sarai, of Lot, and of Hagar. And Hagar is much to be admired here. She's much to be commended, I would say. She's seen and she responds with obedience and goes back to her abusive mistress, but by faith, and she does that. And we go back into tough situations with God by faith, because this time she goes back with God. Before, she was in a household that knew of God, but it wasn't in that situation. Now she goes back with God, and everything changes for her. So what I'd like to do is to wrap up by reading a section of Psalm 139 and then pray and then we can take uh, a communion together because ultimately the way that we know that we're seen is because Jesus came 
That's how we know we're seen. Because he came to live on this earth. Psalm 139, I find, it's one of those psalms. It's just got so much beautiful expression of God's perspective for us and our confidence in him seeing us. I thought it would be worth reading a few verses here. So it's Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. And we'll read, um, we'll read a good chunk of the psalm. But perhaps as I read it, you might like to read along or you might like to close your eyes and meditate, uh, think about it and think about what this means to you about how God views you. In the end, as we go through these stories about Abraham, the bottom line of all of it is what does it tell us about God and how to connect with him? So in Psalm 139, it says this. You have searched, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. We'll stop there and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you see us. You see all of who we are. You see, you see the you see the origins of our divinity that you placed in us and you see the darkness of the sin that we've taken upon ourselves you see it all you see the days when we rejoice in you and we are pleased and eager to please you and do your will and you see the days when we we hide from you or we forget you you see the good that we do and you see the bad that we do you see the days when we're patient and you see us on the days when we're impatient. 
you see is when we stand firm against the standards of this world and you see the days when we give in. You see the days when we go through trials with you and we, you see the days when we try to go through our trials without you. <clears throat> you see it all and you never turn your face away. You never abandon us. Father, thank you that you didn't abandon us to our sinful fate, but you came to seek us, just like the, your angel came to find Hagar on her road. You came and sent, you sent Jesus and you came to find us on our road of life. And you came to teach us, to show us the way that was, is often hard, but, but is a way that you've promised to travel with us. And we thank you that at the end of this, it will all be worth it. We pray that as we go through tough times right now, with illness, with fears, with anxieties, Father, with all these challenges we have, we pray that we would consciously and deliberately go through them with you, trusting you, knowing that you are with us, and trusting that you have <clears throat> a good purpose even in all of these challenges. We pray that we'll come out of this stronger, and more importantly, that we'll come out of this still holding your hand. We thank you for what you've shown us here in chapter 16. And we thank you that Abraham and Sarai and everybody here, they're people just like us. But thank you that you were able to use them for your glory. And we pray that you'd help us to have the faith of Hagar today, to hold on to you, whatever happens. And we thank you that Jesus has made that possible for us, that his death on the cross means that we know that we can be confident that our sins are forgiven, that we receive the Holy Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance and sealing us for the day of redemption, and that you come with us and are in us from now to the day we're with you forever. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.